Good morning, everyone. The recording is on. Today we will discuss Parshat Vayikra. Parshat Vayikra has to do with the beginning with the Korbanot. Korbanot are sacrifices that they would bring in the Beit HaMikdash or in the Mishkan, really in the desert until we were settled in the Beit HaMikdash. And they could be brought, depending on the, the details of the specific offering, they could be brought from uh, either some sort of a domesticated animal, such as a cow, a sheep, or a goat, or it could be brought from a bird, like a pigeon, or a dove, or it could be brought from some sort of a food item, like flour, not flour with a W, flour with a U, like wheat or barley in some cases. And there are flour offerings. <laughs> and the parasha begins to go through each of these korbanot, who has to bring what, under what circumstances, when. And so we can begin to discuss a little bit of the korbanot with the idea that we don't have korban, we, we don't bring korbanot anymore. So let me begin with a Gemara, quoted in Mesechat Megillah, where the Gemara says, going back to the story of Abraham Avinu, when Abraham Avinu was told by God that his children will inherit the land of Israel and they will be a large nation, Abraham asks, in what merit do they deserve to receive this blessing? And Hashem responds by telling Abraham to bring a korban, to bring animals and to cut them up. It's the Brit Benavitarim. And Abraham understands that in light of the merit of the Korbanot that he's bringing and that his children will be bringing, they will deserve the land of Israel. They will preserve it uh, and keep it. And then Abraham says, but what about when there is no Beit HaMikdash? How can they continue to have a relationship with you if there's no Beit HaMikdash? If there's no Beit HaMikdash, does that mean there's no Korbanot, which means there's You've given up on them? And Hashem responds, no, you can study. I've set forth the Torah portions and the sections of the Korbanot for them to read and for them to study. And in a sense, we don't bring the Korbanot anymore. Well, we don't. But in a sense, by studying it, we can hopefully fulfill part of that mitzvah. Even though it's very foreign to us, hopefully we can uh, learn a little bit about it, then hopefully that will fulfill uh, and, and be as a hook for us. There's different types of korbanot. <coughs> We're introduced to the korban ola. I'll break it down as follows. There are some korbanot that are fully burnt. There are some korbanot that are partially burnt and partially eaten by the kohen, the kohanim that are doing the service, but not the ones who are offering it. And there are some korbanot that are partially burnt, partially eaten by the Kohen, and partially eaten by the owners, the ones who are offering it. So let's go through different examples. The first one is called the korban ola. The word ola means to go up. And that's how you remember it fully goes up in, in that it is fully burnt. Korban ola is fully burnt. Korban ola mostly is a voluntary korban. Uh, it's, it's not required the way some other ones are, but it is something that someone brings. If someone says, I want to bring a korban to God, voluntarily, they would bring a korban Allah. 
Other times where someone would bring it if there is a positive commandment that they refrain from doing, not a negative command, but a positive command that they refrain from doing, and they want to do teshuvah for it, you can bring a korban olah. An example, a very simple example is tefillin. Wearing tefillin for a male is a positive command. Women are obligated because it is time-bound and it is only obligated during the day. And positive time-bound mitzvot, women are not obligated in. Men are. If a man doesn't wear tefillin and he wants to do teshuvah, part of his process would be to bring a korban ola, fully burnt. The next, and the Gemara, the Torah, sorry, gives different details of whether it should be a cow or a sheep or a goat. Then the next type of korban, oh, or sorry, cow, sheep, goat, or even birds. It could be brought out of uh, some sort of a bird, like a dove or a pigeon, a small one, not chicken. And not a chicken, but a small one that like, you could almost hold with one hand. Um, then the next type of korban, it's called a korban mincha. Korban mincha is a flower offering. And it's very often brought with many of the korbanot. It's like a, it's an additional one that comes with many korbanot. Like, but sometimes it is its own distinct korban. So there's a lot of details as to when it has to be brought. But the korban mincha, what is it? There's four ingredients. <clears throat> flour, fine flour. So wheat, clean, very white, pure, fine flour. That's one. Two is oil. Solet, you have flour, oil. Three is frankincense. Frankincense is a type of spice. And I'm sure you could just buy frankincense from uh, from a Trader Joe's or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know what it tastes like, but it's, it's a spice that they would add to the korban. So you have, imagine, a vision, envision a bowl, flour, envision um, oil with a spice, like a scoop of spice on top. And finally, the fourth element or ingredient in a korban mecha is salt. So I want to speak a little bit about these uh, ingredients because there's something to learn from them. Um, so you have the flour, which is like representing bread, which is basic necessities in life, right? Bread, which is what you need to eat. Oil, which is a, a, a step further where it's it's something that goes in our food that we eat and it is necessary to sweeten our, our basic necessities. Um, but it's not required to live. So you have um, oil, I, you would say, is perhaps living a, a little better life than just bread. And finally, you have frankincense, which actually is not needed at all. It's not giving you any nutrition. It's not something you eat. It's just something you smell and it's something you enjoy, which is um, representative of, let's say, luxuries in this life that, that's there just for you to enjoy. And part of the Korban Mincha is an offering that is brought that you should be thinking and thanking God for all steps of your life. Obviously, if someone is in a stage where they're enjoying frankincense and they're enjoying luxuries and things that aren't necessary, they should be thanking God for that. But even if they, it's not that, you know, you don't have your private jet, but you have like a basic car, you know, that would be like the oil where you don't need it to live, but it's necessary for you. You know, it is very helpful and integral of your life. That's like an oil. And then you have the basic necessities of just bread and shelter, what you need to live. And you should always be thinking Hashem for all of the above. Those three ingredients. 
And the way, uh, just uh, to, to help visualize it, the way the offering is brought is so you to imagine you have a huge bowl filled with like flour and oil and a scoop of frankincense. The coin will take his hand as so. I'm not a coin. Sometimes I wish I was. I wish I were, but uh, whatever. You can't change these things. And he scoops from the flower with his three fingers. This is called a kemitza. He scoops, takes three fingers worth of the flour and oil, you know, cleans off on this side, cleans off on this side, make sure he just has three. And he grabs all of the frankincense and that's offered as a, it's burnt, that's burnt on the altar and, and um, it, no one eats it. And the rest of it goes to the Kohanim to eat. So the Kohanim will make bread out of it and they'll, this is, they'll be their breakfast, lunch and dinner or whatever, this belongs to the Kohanim. So that's part of the gifts that the Kohanim will receive. Torah tells us a few more things here that it has to have salt. I wanna mention about salt, something very beautiful that the Ramban says. The Torah says that when you bring a korban, korban when someone brings a korban, uh, really all of them, you have to bring salt in it. And very interesting, if you fail to bring salt, the Torah says you're going against a covenant of God. The Torah quote, don't how do they translate tashpit? Tashpit means to to discontinue, like the word of Shabbat. But don't discontinue the covenant of salt that you have with God, and make salt such a big important deal. And the question is, why is salt so important? The Ramban says something beautiful. The Ramban explains. That salt is unique in, in its nature, in that it has two opposite qualities. On one hand, it's destructive. On the other hand, it preserves. It's destructive in the sense that if someone has a field where they're growing fruits and vegetables and they pour salt on it, it'll destroy the fertile land. It'll kill the land and the land will not be able to produce. It's destructive in nature, salt. On the other hand, if let's say someone has a piece of meat or something that they want to preserve for it to last longer, salt is a way to make it preserve. Like you have beef jerky, it's salted and it has like spices and that could last forever. And so what's unique about salt is that it can be both destructive and constructive. It could be both hurting something or preserving something, but it depends on how you use it. And that's this, the, the Ramban explains there's it's necessary to have salt in all of our karbanot for us to understand that korbanot are a powerful tool if we use it in the proper way. But if we use it in the wrong way, if we misuse it, if we abuse it, it can be destructive. How so? Let's say, for example, someone says, I am going to cheat and steal and kill and do whatever I want. And then at the end of the week, I'll go bring a korban in the Beit HaMikdash. That korban that an offering someone brings is clearing his conscience and enabling him and empowering him to continue doing bad things. So let me ask you, is the korban good or bad? Is the korban constructive or destructive? The korban is destructive in that it reinforces his bad behavior. Someone uses the korban that way, it's like pouring salt on fertile land and it kills it. These korbanot are not good. Don't bring them. Don't 
use them to clear your conscience. On the other hand, if someone brings a korban because they want to get closer to Hashem and they want to be in the presence of the Beit HaMikdash and they want to use it as an opportunity for them to clear their thoughts and clear their minds and come forth and pour their hearts out to God and to do what's correct, then the korban is enabling him to, to elevate and become a better person and preserve his legacy. So salt is an important ingredient because it tells us that this korban by itself is not going to do any tricks. This korban is going to depend on how you're using it. Of course, we have the mitzvah, they have the mitzvah to bring it. But the intention is just as important as the action. So they bring the korbanot. And if we have positive uh, intention with it, then it has positive preserving effects. If not, it has negative effects. And that's why every korban has to have salt in it. And if someone doesn't bring salt, it's Annulling and discontinuing the covenant of Hashem, it's so important because it has to be clear to us that korbanot by themselves are not going to just clear our sins. You don't just make a contribution to the Beit HaMikdash and, and you think that everything is clear. That's not how it works. That is some of the details of a korban mincha. So we spoke about a korban ola, fully burnt. We spoke about the details of a korban mincha. It's no animals. It's flour, oil, frankincense, salt. Now let's speak about korban shelamim. Zevach shelamim is the next type of korban. The word shelamim comes from the lashon of uh, shalom, peace, uh, or uh, shalem, completeness. And there's different explanations as to why it's called what it is. But one thing that we can remember about the Korban Shalamim is that this one is eaten by everyone. What does that mean? Some of it goes onto the altar. Some of this animal is brought as an offering and is burnt up on the altar. So God eats it, if you will. Some of it is given to the Kohen and the Kohen's family for them to eat meat. So the Kohen eats from it. And some of it is kept by the owners, the ones who's offering it. So I, Sabzavari, come to the Beit HaMikdash with a Korban Ola. It's fully burnt. No one gets it. So I come to the Beit HaMikdash, the Korban Shelamim, I'm going to take some home. The Kohanim will take some home. And some of it is burnt on the altar as well as an offering to Hashem. So that's Korban Shelamim. Details about when it has to be brought. There's a million and one details. And Bezor Hashem will be able to, um, to see it with our own eyes very soon in the, in the Beit HaMikdash. That's the Korban Shelamim. Then the next one I want to speak about is the Korban Chatat. Korban Chatat is very important. What is a korban chatat? The word chet is sin. So it's a korban that one brings when one sins. Very specific sin, though. There are certain sins that the Torah tells us that if one transgresses a negative command, not a positive. We spoke about positive. If someone transgresses a positive command, they would bring a korban olah. If someone transgresses a negative one, and that negative one is severe in that the Torah tells us if one transgresses this negative, they would get karet. Karet is, uh, means to be cut off, whatever that means, different interpretations. But there's 36 mitzvot in the Torah that the Torah tells us, and, and only 34 of them are negative. The Torah tells us at least 34 negative commands. If one transgresses intentionally uh, this negative, he will get 
he or she will get the punishment of karet. For those, if someone transgresses it unintentionally or without full um, knowledge, uh, that person would have to bring a korban chatat. So I'll give you an example of a korban chatat. Would be eating chametz on Pesach. Very important. Eating chametz on Pesach. If one eats, someone says, I don't care. Pesach, I'm going to eat chametz. That would be uh, karet. Punishment of karet. But now let's say someone does it unintentionally. Now what does that mean unintentionally? It doesn't mean there's no fault at all. There's some fault. So for example, they go to Bet Knesset and there's breakfast there. And they have pita bread there. And he says, well, well pita bread, oh, wow, maybe they got the kosher for Passover one. I don't know. Should you check the package? Eh, whatever. If it's here, it's probably fine. And they eat it. And then someone says, oh, someone brought that from somewhere else. So he was aware that he was eating something. And he had some thoughts. Maybe there's a problem here. It looks like hummus. But well, he didn't ask. He didn't ask twice. It's just an example. This would be korban khatat. Someone in this situation should bring a chatat offering. There's details of what animal it should be brought, how it should be brought, etc., how it should be offered. But this is a korban chatat. Again, to reiterate, korban chatat is an offering. The owner does not eat from it, like a shamim. The, the kohen does. So here you have korban chatat, where only the kohen and the altar will eat from it. So if we, if we have three parties here, the altar, the kohanim, and the owner, korban olah all goes to the altar. Korban chatat goes to the altar and to the kohen. Korban shlamim goes to the altar, the kohen, and the owner. Okay, so these are different types of korbanot. And then just to end it off, there is different korbanot called korban asham. Korban asham is a guilt offering. There are specific acts that if one does, They'll have to bring a korban asham for it. That's why it gives us a list here and elsewhere. Again, that's that's another offering that has to be brought. There's a lot to discuss about this. I'll end off with just mentioning there's a mitzvah at the very end of the parasha that one of the people that has to bring a korban asham is someone who did something wrong and they want to do teshuvah. And part of their teshuvah process for specific acts is to bring a korban asham. So the example that Torah gives is someone who stole something. If someone steals an item and then afterwards they regret, they want to return it, so they should return it. They should give back some, a uh, little bit of a uh, little bit more than the, the principle that they stole, give a little bit more, and they bring a korban asham. And you see from here the concept of doing teshuvah. You stole something, you want to fix it, give it back. The Torah tells us return the object that one stole. There's a lot to discuss to go deeper into the concept of korbanot. Why is it so important? But as I mentioned, the it is very critical for our yadut, for our Torah, these korbanot. We don't have them nowadays, so we study them. And again, to reiterate, the way the Ramban explains, we put the salt on the korbanot. Because korbanot, in a sense, are only a tool. Not only. They are a tool for us to use to get closer to Hashem. If we use it in the proper way, it has the preserving nature of salt, that it helps us in growing and getting closer to Hashem. If someone uses it as a way to clear their conscience so that they could keep doing things that are wrong, and then once a week they come offer something, or once a month they come offer something, or three times a year they offer something, and now they feel like they can go back and do whatever they want, 
then it's destructive, like salt in its nature, that it could destroy fruits and uh, fertile land. So again, we understand that it all has to do with one's intention. When they're bringing it, bringing the korban, which is important, they have to have the proper intentions as well. Okay, at this moment, I will pause and open it up to questions. Please feel free to ask questions in the chat. Any questions? I'll mention one thing that the Sefer Chinuch um, explains, Nichat Chinuch explains, one of the aspects of Teshuvah is when someone brings a Korban, this is one of the parts of it, right? There's many. One of the parts of it is um, if someone sees these Korbanot, it shakes them up. You have an animal that's mooing, you have a cow that's mooing, a sheep that's buying a uh, a bird that's chirping in one moment, and then someone goes and they did something wrong, so they're approaching the Beit HaMikdash, they see the Kohanim there, and they see this living animal that's kicking, and then a moment later they see it's no longer alive. The Kohen does his job by telling them, hey, you see life is fragile. You have this animal that's alive now, a few moments ago, and now it's not. We, we, we don't have guarantees on life. It's time to do teshuvah and to improve our ways. It really hits the. It really hits home. So don't just think that you bring it, you deposit it, and you leave. The kohanim are there. The kohanim will encourage us to do teshuvah as well. And part of it is that when we see this living animal that no longer is alive with our own eyes, that will, in many time, in many ways, it will inspire us to improve our ways, so that we don't need to keep bringing korbanot because we won't. We won't make the mistake to bring the korban. <clears throat> Okay, so I have no questions about Korban Hot, which is fine. We do have an unrelated question. What do you do if you're going to a hotel during Kalamoed? Do you need to do Vidika? Can you clean the oven stove for use? Uh, that's a tough question. For the most part, um, okay, so if someone is going to a hotel on Pesach, during um, yeah, during Pesach, that if there's someone goes before, they should search the apartment or the hotel room before, and they should also, if they're going to use the oven, they should do the self-clean beforehand. And make sure that you know all of the details of how to do Hagalah and how to clean the oven. Make sure that you're, you're doing it properly. Now, if someone's entering in the middle of Chag, if someone's entering in the middle of Chag, uh, yes, they should do Bedika, no Bracha. There's no Bracha, but a person should search the room see if there's any food. Where this might happen is there's a mini fridge. There might be a mini fridge and there's plenty of chametz. You could have Oreos in there or you could have like a, some sort of a, the whiskey in there. That could be chametz. So I would suggest you tell the, the when you're checking in, you tell them, please uh, clear out. I don't, I don't want any food in the room. Please clear out the, the, the mini fridge or lock it. I don't want it. You have kids, they're going to come grab it. I don't want you to charge me a bill. Get it out of my room. Tell them that you don't have any food in your room. In terms of the oven and stove, stove stove is fine. 
stove is fine, meaning the top is fine, um, as long as no food falls on top of it, right? If food falls on top of it, don't eat it. But if you have a kosher pot and you're putting it on a stove, the food inside the pot, it's fine. The oven might be a little bit more difficult. You're going to have to do self-clean, and I highly recommend you do, do not use it. Highly recommend you not use it, or if you do want to use an oven that you're just getting to during Pesach, what I would recommend you do is double wrap. Buy yourself a roll of aluminum foil. If you want to make yourself some schnitzel with a matzah meal on top of the, the chicken or something you want to warm up something, some chicken, wrap it up. <laughs> wrap, you know, you have an aluminum tray as an example. Double wrap it with aluminum foil, and then you could go ahead and use that, use that oven. Just, again, make sure that if anything falls out in the oven, you don't, you don't touch it. Okay, so that's a little bit of Halakho Pesach. If you have any additional questions, please feel free to reach out. Okay, very good. With that, we don't have any questions, so we'll conclude there. Chag Sameach, everyone. God willing, next week we will not have class because it will be Pesach. But if you are around, please do come to Bet uh, Knesset on Pesach. We will have the Reitra then, right? I'll be giving the Reitra this Shabbat on Sunday. So hope to see you. Uh, hope to see you there. Otherwise, Chag Sameach. May it be a wonderful holiday for you and your families. May you enjoy the Seder and may we continue to to study Torah together in good health for many years to come. Shavuot Tov, everyone. Chag Sameach. Thank you, Alan. Shavuot Tov. Thanks, Alan. Sure. Thank you.